This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the host of Energy Matters. You hear about Project Share every single week uh, on our show since we have started it. And I've got in the studio Mike Bradford. You've heard him on our show before. uh, And Captain Canning. Uh, Captain, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. And also Pat McNulty of St. Vincent de Paul in Pat, I I had a chance to meet uh, your previous CEO and get to know him because our commission really is big on utilizing nonprofit organizations, particularly on the gas side of things, natural gas side of things, to be able to help those in need. Tell us a little bit about your organization, St. Vincent de Paul. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, we've been in the Atlanta market since 1903. The organization is almost 200 years old and in over 100 countries throughout the world. An interesting statistic statistic is statistic. I'm having trouble with that word today. We touch the lives of over 30 million people worldwide on a daily basis. Wow. So a lot of people don't realize that. And your Atlanta office is over near Peachtree to Cab, right? It is. We're at the north end of Peachtree to Cab in a newly renovated facility. Uh, actually in Chambly, but we serve the state from Savannah all the way to Hartwell, uh, from Dalton all the way south of Columbus. Wow. And Captain Canning uh, and Mike, uh, Captain, you are an officer in the Salvation Army. Mike, you're a civilian uh, working with the Salvation Army. Tell me about, uh, Captain, the difference in the roles uh, when you're in the Salvation Army as an officer. Sure, absolutely. Uh, to be an officer in the Salvation Army means you're an ordained minister. Um, the, the Salvation Army is a church uh, ministry. Uh, that's what everything flows out of. Um, that's, that's the Salvation Army. Uh, Salvation Army, uh, Salvation spiritually as well as physically. And uh, so uh, as an officer, uh, you're an ordained minister and uh, you're appointed by the Salvation Army to various uh, appointments. Uh, whereas uh, Mike, as a, a civilian, as you refer to him, or uh, as an employee, uh, he's a normal employee and he'll uh, remain in his position until he deems otherwise until or maybe we deem otherwise no <laughs> that's right yeah, <laughs> mike don't yeah. I, don't get scared and please please don't get rid of mike because I'm, I'm, I'm not, not even not. looking his direction yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. love we love working with mike at the commission yes. he's yeah. just kind he informs us uh, he's persistent, and that's important too. And he's there. Uh, he yes. shows up, and that's that's important. He has yeah. represented your organization well. Yeah, he's a tremendous advocate, not only for the Salvation Army and for Project Share, but most importantly for the people that we serve. Um, it's just there's no one like him. He does an amazing job. So you know, I don't think he has anything to be worried about. I, I think. <laughs> I'm glad this has been recorded. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so you you can play it back over. That's and over right. Again. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about as we were putting a lot of solar in Georgia, General Acock. 
uh, with the Army came down. It was instrumental in uh, helping us get solar on a lot of our Army bases. But he had a lot of civilians that actually worked in that office in the Pentagon, kind of like your structure, right? Yes, so you've got absolutely. you've got uh, you've got officers and enlisted folks, uh, you know, in in the Army, and then you have civilians that are helping to kind of carry out their mission. Mike, what is the duties that you have as you carry out the mission of the Salvation Army? Well, I am the director of the Project Share program for the Salvation Army, which has been around for 36 years this year. Uh, We started with our original partner, Georgia Power, in order to serve clients in all 159 counties of the state with the basic needs, including energy, uh, both uh, power, gas, and even water and housing, which is unique for a program that's funded almost entirely by utility companies across the state. So I manage the uh, relationships with those utility companies, uh, with the Georgia Public Service Commission, with partners across the state who help us with our intake and locations where we don't have a physical office, as well, of course, with the li- as a liaison to our Salvation Army offices where they're seeing Project Share clients uh, every day. Pat, uh, as folks come to St. Vincent de Paul uh, in your offices across the state, What's the biggest need that they have when they knock on your door? Really four areas. Uh, primarily, though, uh, housing, uh, utility relief, so, so some help with a uh, utility bill. Um, the uh, clothing, uh, typically, is we, we have over a dozen thrift stores in the uh, mostly Atlanta and, and northeast and northwest from there, all the way up to Commerce, which is not far from here. And, uh, and then medical assistance. So we have a, a pharmacy that we just opened in February, and we're now averaging over 700 uh, prescriptions per month that we are uh, giving at no cost uh, to people in need. You know, to all of you, I've been a, been a real advocate for the nonprofit health clinics that uh, exist, sometimes on a sliding scale, sometimes uh, for uh, for free, uh, I know that we have we have one of each type here in in Athens, and I've written articles on it and, and volunteered. My kids have volunteered, but healthcare, uh, Captain, is a huge a huge issue out there for people without a medical home, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean. The importance of medical care um, is amazing when you think about the the impact of not having that and what that means to a family, what that means to the ability to get and hold a job. Um, it's just uh, tremendous. So as we look at uh, poverty across the state, health care is a major, uh, major concern. Mike, sometimes I'll reach out to you, uh, and there's no rhyme or reason to when I reach out to you other than when someone has reached out to me. And oftentimes they're sitting in the dark. Their food is melting in the refrigerator. They're panicking a little bit. Uh, sometimes they have a, a, a medical issue. Usually not. Usually they've had a financial issue, and they're sitting there in the dark. It's definitely become their top priority to get their lights back on. Um, and that's uh, that throws a person into crisis, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It affects every every part of the family unit. The household uh, is already in crisis uh, financially, is why the power is off. So they're already dealing with a lot of issues, and when the power goes off, that just exponentially raises the level of crisis 
uh, parents start missing work, children miss school. It affects their their ability to prepare food and store it safely and to maintain hygiene. Every every aspect of family life is threatened when the power is off. You know, I'm going to say it a number of times today, and we're going to have these guys in this segment and the next segment, that uh, you know, I want to encourage you to do a couple things out there. One is I want to encourage you to contact your utility and do the checkoff box for Project Share. So Wendy and I do $5 a month, and uh, the utility matches that. I mean, I know some of you have been cynical about utilities and power companies and gas companies, but you probably don't know that they match this money. And then I want to encourage you to give you know, in the red kettle, as you see that red kettle out there at Stores for the Salvation Army, and, and I want to encourage you to send uh, send a contribution to St. Vincent de Paul uh, and join me in doing that this year. Pat, um, as folks come to you uh, and their lights are off, their power's off, uh, do, you see, do you see them in crisis? Is it impacting more than just that area of their life? Usually it is, as Tim mentioned. I think it's it's typically uh, a situation where uh, many things have added up, and and the the utility is one one aspect. Uh, looking at possibly possible eviction, um, repossession of their transportation mode, uh, etc. So usually it's a it's a situation where two or three things are colliding at once. Yeah. Um, Captain Canning, uh, I know William Booth started the Salvation Army, and I've, I've, you know, my kids were little, all of them, I read the story of William Booth, too, about the beginning of the Salvation Army, his work with the poor with children in London. Um, back then, kids were working in factories at a young age. Kids were um, out there uh, as orphans, just, you know, just just living um, being being taken advantage of, much like human trafficking today, the same dynamic existed. Does William Booth and his story still resonate within the Army today? Oh, absolutely. It's our driving force each and every day. Uh, that vision he had um, of a world that is just desperately in need of salvation, again, uh, physically and spiritually, um, of people that have lost hope. And that's what the Salvation Army and other organizations uh, such as St. Vincent, that's what we're here for, is to, is to provide hope. Pat, as people listen and they think, oh, you know, I don't know if I can get involved and help, but how does giving a contribution to St. Vincent de Paul, how, how does that help the poor in Georgia? Well, it helps because it allows us to to push the great percentage of that money back to folks in need of of uh, eviction uh, avoidance. Uh, we can get we can often get one month's rent, uh, two months' rent uh, to to that landlord to uh, hold off on evicting those folks that may be a paycheck or two away from uh, getting back on their heels. What we are really at, at St. Vincent de Paul is we are a a place to, to uh, offer a hand up, right? Not a handout. So we try to we try to get folks through the next thirty or, or sixty days. Hey, when we come back, Captain Canning of the Salvation Army, an officer there, Mike Bradford, a civilian with the Salvation Army, Pat McNulty with St. Vincent de Paul. We're gonna talk about some specific programs and how they help the poor in our state. I hope you'll give. I hope you'll join me in giving. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. 
Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. Today, we're talking about how your contribution can really matter. And it, it, it can be as simple as contacting your power company, your gas company, and saying, hey, sign me up for that project share opportunity. I know Wendy and I get $5 a month. It just comes out right on the bill you see it right on the bill and uh in the studio captain canning of the salvation army mike bradford and pat mcnulty of st vincent de paul mike um that five dollars uh that they might give to georgia power becomes more than just another five dollars doesn't it uh that's exactly right since the program started uh, 36 years ago georgia power has always matched every customer's contribution dollar for dollar and in the beginning of 2020, they increased that to $1.50 for every dollar donated. And as far as I know, that is the highest matching rate of any utility company in the country. So it's an incredible opportunity. Uh, we certainly appreciate every contribution of, at any level, even if it's not a Georgia Power customer. But Georgia Power customers have just a unique opportunity to multiply that by 150% uh, from what they have generously given us you know there's a lot of things that you can give to out there i do you probably do those listening to us here on energy matters but i tell you when it comes to trusted organizations organizations that i feel like number one they're great financial stewards of the money and number two they understand how to deal with people in crisis I don't know if you, my listener, have interacted with homeless people or people that are being evicted or poor people. I don't know what kind of interaction that you have, but I can tell you what, uh, that the Salvation Army and St. Vincent de Paul, they are professionals at helping these people get, get a hand up uh, and, and to be able to get back on their feet. I mean, Pat, it makes 
all the difference that you guys have had a lot of practice. You've got caring people involved. You're not the government. You're an organization that really has a heart. Oh, it's amazing. We have a, a combination of, of volunteers and what we call Vincentians, and it totals close to 5,000 people statewide. So those are really the folks that are that are meeting people where they need the help the most, typically in their homes. Obviously, COVID changed that quite a bit, so we had to do more of the work that we usually do via phone and uh, uh, Zoom and that kind of thing. But Typically, we try to go to people where they need help the most. Wow. Your website, is because your name, St. Vincent DePaul, people may not be able to spell it. What's your website? www.svdpgeorgia.org. S-V-D-P, like St. Vincent DePaul. Right. Georgia.org. Captain, you heard me ask Pat about the heart. I mean, the Salvation Army, you have had centuries of experience at being able to to help the poor. Yeah, and uh, similar to to St. Vincent, you know, it's the people behind the shield uh, that make that happen, uh, made up of uh, officers, employees, and and volunteers alike. And uh, we all look, we look for five common characteristics in everybody uh, that we work with. We want people to be passionate, compassionate, brave, uplifting, and trustworthy. Um, And those those are the type of people that help us get done what the Salvation Army uh, does. And uh, it's just amazing how much people are willing to give. And of course, heading into this time of year, um, when you see our red kettle, uh, out there. Uh, this is where we, we get a majority of our money that helps us do uh, what we do. So uh, we, we hope people support us. And uh, our promise is that we will do the most good with that with that, that is donated to us, whether it's volunteers, whether it's uh, money or any, any other type of donations. Mike, the reason that you wound up at the commission is because Georgia law uh, regarding gas deregulation passed in 1997 Uh, allowed uh, a creation of a universal service fund. And the legislature gave the commission, the Public Service Commission, of which I'm vice chair, the authority to refund it to customers, to build more pipelines, or to provide it for utility, low-income utility assistance through nonprofit organizations like the Salvation Army and St. Vincent de Paul. Both of your organizations... uh, Captain and Mike and and Pat, both of your organizations have the trust of the Public Service Commission. We have provided millions of dollars uh, to you for this for for this purpose. And Mike, the reason I love for you coming back in is because I love for you to tell the story and remind new commissioners of the good work that we're doing. And you guys have enjoyed substantial support at the Public Service Commission. Yes, Commissioner, and we certainly are grateful for that over the years. And it has meant millions of dollars, over $3 million in the last 10 or 12 years uh, to Project Share in order to address natural gas bills across the state. And that is something, especially with the heating season coming up, that becomes uh, ever more critical. And the price of that commodity is going up this year compared to years in the past. So more than ever, that special funding that we have available to draw on is going to be critical for families in Georgia who are trying to heat their homes. Yeah, Captain, it's one thing for you to lose power 
in the spring or the fall and your food thaw out. It's another thing in the dead of winter when it's really cold for you to lose your heat. Yes, absolutely. And similar to what we spoke about in healthcare the last segment, you know, the loss of that um, can have ramifications uh, that spread throughout. And so, yeah, support of a, a program like a Georgia Power um, is something that is vital, especially during this type of year. Pat, uh, you're with the St. Vincent de Paul, uh, and you guys are headquartered over there near Peachtree to Cab. How important is it to have companies like Georgia Power, the Public Service Commission, other corporate entities believe in what you're doing? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it, it shows what kind of values they have as an organization. It, it helps put uh, substance behind what we're doing. I mean, when we have folks like uh, Kroger and Georgia Power, uh, uh, Gas South, uh, it, it, it just means uh, all the difference in the world when we're talking to our the folks, that, the neighbors in need, the people that we're trying to provide hope and help to, but it also helps when we're talking to prospective donors and corporations and foundations. Pat, um, Mike mentioned that gas prices are going up, natural gas. I mean, uh, obviously, car gas is going up, too, but we're seeing a, a great escalation in natural gas prices and i don't see an end to it anytime soon what kind of impact is that going to have for for your clients well we've seen a large increase already in in the uh, folks that are lining up for food in the morning uh even at our thrift stores folks that are trying to use clothing vouchers and we expect to see the same kind of increase with folks that are have got issues with their utility bills i park at the aquarium in my electric car i walk to the capitol from there one I need the exercise, and two, I get free electricity because I'm a season season pass member at the aquarium, so, and they give free parking and free charging if you're a season season pass member. But I've had a chance to walk uh, through you know hordes of, of the homeless there as I cut through uh, five five points Marta station, and had the idea uh, to take some guys in my Bible study and actually do a trash pickup with the homeless where we provided them with a, a contractor-grade trash bag, a vest, some gloves, and told them we would give them $10 for every bag that they picked up. And I had not had as much interaction with the homeless, positive interaction, as I did uh, with that experience. 20 people joined us, and we gave out about $500 that day but folks out there i think have a difficult time interacting with this community which makes your job at the salvation army even more important yeah and look you're, you're not alone the, the public's not alone in that feeling of when they work with the homeless it's a complex issue and uh, we're often afraid of the unknown and what we don't know and understand and i think that's the category that a lot of uh, homelessness falls into. Um, but I think the important thing for everybody to remember is that they are people, you know, uh, just like us, uh, that have uh, challenges just like us. And uh, the reason they're in the state they, they're in is because they lack the resources that they need to deal with those uh, that many of us just take for granted on a, on a daily basis. And uh, so that's why organizations such as the Salvation Army and St. Vincent are here uh, to help them. And uh, as we mentioned before, volunteers are vitally important. And so so if you want to help, but you're you're maybe intimidated uh, by doing it on your own, such as you and your church group uh, did, uh, reach out to an organization like the Salvation Army in St. Vincent de Paul, and we have plenty of opportunities uh, where you can help make a difference on a daily basis. Pat, how can folks give to St. Vincent de Paul? Sure. Thanks for asking that. It's www.svdp.org. 
georgia.org forward slash donate and there are several options on there uh, we you can uh, we provide the means for you to be able to donate clothing uh, m- monthly giving uh, which w- which is what you're doing I guess with Salvation Army uh, as well as one-time gifts and is that Georgia abbreviated or is it spelled out I'm sorry that's a great question it's Georgia spelled out in all lowercase so SVDP Georgia spelled out dot org that's right yeah that's right well, I hope you folks will join join me because Wendy and I are making a contribution this season. And how can folks might give to Project Share besides just on their utility bill? Probably the easiest thing is to go to projectshareinfo.com and you'll find everything you need to know about uh, the program, how it operates, and how to give as well. And by the way, Georgia Power also matches 150% uh, for direct donations from their customers in any amount. Wow. So... Um, and we've had some people give significant contributions that were fully matched 150%. Well, kudos to all of you. Thank you for being a part of the program today. When we come back, Tyler Norris with Cypress Creek Renewables, Head of Development Policy, will be here to talk utility-scale solar. But meanwhile, you join me in supporting these great organizations. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Merry Christmas to you. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Hey, back on Energy Matters, uh, we don't often do interviews on the phone, but Casey, uh, having Tyler Norris, the opportunity to bring him in of Cypress Creek Renewables and to be able to talk about utility-scale solar is a special opportunity. Absolutely, and it's great to have Tyler with us here today. Hey, Tyler, um, you're coming to us from where, North Carolina? Yes, that's right. I'm based here in the Triangle, uh, and I uh, grew up in western North Carolina. Yeah, so I guess y'all love basketball as much as you do R&D up there, don't you? 
Yes, it's uh, it's always a, a lively competition, and uh, that alongside barbecue, I'd say, are two of the greatest offerings of the state. That and solar power. Yeah, that's great. You know, North Carolina had been ahead of Georgia for a long time. Uh, we we are we are gaining, and I understand by twenty twenty four, we're going to be number four. Uh, in the country I'm excited about how did North Carolina get ahead of uh, of most uh, every state that you would think of uh, except for California Arizona you know and those those western states how did North Carolina do so well with solar so early right right well it's been really exciting to see the progress of Georgia and kudos to you and the rest of the Georgia commission for really leading the charge there the North Carolina solar boom is, is a fascinating story. It, it really was primarily driven by the state's interpretation of a federal law called the Public Utility Regulatory Policies Act, PERPA. It was backstopped by RPS, but actually North Carolina exceeded its RPS target in essentially every year. And really what PERPA did and the way North Carolina implemented it is it provided market access for independent power producers to sell their power uh, as long as that power uh, was equivalent to the the rate that the utility would otherwise pay uh, for electric power. And as solar photovoltaics in particular uh, started really coming down the cost curve, uh, you know, in the early 2010s and before natural gas prices had plummeted, uh, this created a favorable uh, marketplace for for utility-scale solar in the form of, um, of qualifying facilities to, to get contracts to sell that power to the utility, and especially uh, providing for uh, you know, long-term power purchase agreements, 15 to 20 years, this created you know, financeable contracts that uh, really opened the market up to a lot of different small businesses and really created an entrepreneurial environment that uh, that saw North Carolina's um, solar uh, construction really really skyrocket it and uh, put it up to number two in the country for the most installed solar at the time and uh, and then you know the state ended up deciding to transition the market from from one driven by PERPA to one based on competitive procurement and uh, that was a law that was passed in, in 2017. So, Tyler, I mean, it's it's really interesting to see kind of the different southeast states and, and where, you know, the, the policy environment, uh, you know, has supported or maybe held back uh, solar in, in particular. And, and of course, we do things different here in Georgia. Um, you know, I think Tim is fond of saying that, you know, here in Georgia, we don't have a renewable portfolio standard or an RPS like uh, like you talked about in North Carolina. And we have approached solar procurement a little bit differently here in Georgia from what you just described in in North Carolina, uh, you know, kind of with your experience working across different states, what what do you see as, you know, things that have been supportive of accelerating solar deployment um, or things perhaps that, you know, states might want to take another look at that are, are hampering solar deployment? Right. Well, I think what's interesting is that we're really seeing a convergence across a number of states to uh, to their policies that are supporting renewable power, especially in the southeast. And so it's actually interesting to see that Georgia and North Carolina and now increasingly TVA territory and and hopefully other southeastern states and elsewhere, you know, have converged around, you know, competitive procurement as as a way of of getting least cost renewable power. Um, I think, you know, Georgia waited a little bit to pursue that approach. It ultimately benefited in a sense from 
uh, from from getting solar power once it had come even further down the cost curve. Uh, North Carolina, as I mentioned, you know, did transition in 2017 as a very you know strong bipartisan support for transitioning the market from one that was, that was driven by PURPA to instead one based on competitive procurement. And in a sense, I was actually somewhat similar to uh, to the model that I think Georgia pursued in that. In this case, the legislature you know, set out a defined procurement target. It was based on actually some some uh, analysis done by a national laboratory at the time looking at how much renewable power the system could reasonably integrate, at least based on the then available best information. Um, similar to how the, you know, the Georgia Commission set out, you know, a procurement target based on its analysis of the integrated resource plans. And I think both states have really benefited from that approach in a lot of ways. Again, getting getting the least cost renewables and those economies of scale. And, you know, in the case of North Carolina, uh, even just in the few years since that bill passed, you know, that procurement has generated uh, nearly $500 million in savings to ratepayers over the terms of this power purchase agreements, about $2 billion of private investment, and then, of course, you know, all the local tax revenues as well. And uh, so I think there's actually been a, a degree of a convergence. And, of course, we see the same approach being taken by TVA now with their large-scale solar procurement program, which they're doing on an annual basis, you know, at, at scale. One thing I think it's interesting to note some of the differences be- between the, those three models, um, where, you know, Georgia and, and the TVA's procurement is, you know, let the absolute best largest project win uh, with maybe some consideration of locational benefits uh, North Carolina to date has, has maintained a, a cap on the size of the projects and partly to support geographic and the diversity benefits and promoting economic development all across the state. But that's also about to change with the next iteration of these procurements. Um, but, you know, the one other thing I'll mention, and we, we should certainly get into it in terms of the, the recent legislation the North Carolina passed, you know, it's not an, it's not an RPS per se, it is a carbon reduction mandate, and as you know, you know, passed with with strong bipartisan support in the legislature. I think it is the first Republican legislature in the country to pass an electricity sector decarbonization mandate of its kind. And you know, one of the reasons they did that was, at least you know, some of their stated reasoning was they they recognize that there there is carbon policy coming at the federal level in various forms and they wanted to get ahead of that regulation and do decarbonization uh in the way that they thought North Carolina should do it Tyler um, that reality i think drove a policymakers like me in Georgia you know to persist with our nuclear power plant which is zero carbon emissions the political reality on the ground always matters. And we talk on this show that geography matters when you talk about energy. North Carolina, Georgia, not that different, uh, but the political reality is a little bit different in the sense that we had this mammoth project hanging over our head and, and to complete. North Carolina, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't have that. So I think you were free to kind of pursue some other things fairly aggressively. Uh, and so, you know, in, in a way, I think you know, a state, particularly when you are talking about the public service commissioners or public utility commissioners in every state has these. But in a way, we're often constrained or at least we factor in other political realities, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all the dodge, all politics. I mean, even across the southeast, right, we see these differences 
across states. Uh, one thing, you know, I think there is there is some similarity. It's true that, you know, North Carolina and the, the, the Duke jurisdictions here, which also go into South Carolina, uh, don't have new nuclear power plants under construction. Uh, although, as you know, there there is a very substantial amount of, of nuclear power generation in this jurisdiction. Um, it is, I think, one of the one of the highest percentages of, of, of any jurisdiction in the country. And there is there is a strong intent among you know most regulators and policymakers here to preserve that you know that that low carbon, um, zero carbon power generation and um, and and also we're seeing you know federal support come through. But you know the other reason I think that the legislature here wanted to go with a with a broad based carbon reduction goal instead of a renewable portfolio centered was exactly in a sense in line with some of, some of the thinking of the Georgia Commission, uh, which is let's let the, the best technology win. Um, so whether it's in the form of an all-source procurement or whether it's in the form of the commission identifying via the, the resource planning process, you know, which uh, low-carbon technology can, can best meet that goal, whether that's nuclear power whether that's some form of carbon capture and storage or whether that's, you know, renewables and storage or even some other technology um, down the road that is still under development, setting the goal, which is cleaning up our, our power generation and all those public health benefits, doing it in a way that any technology, yeah. including potentially new nuclear, yes. could succeed. Yeah, let me let me have we just one minute left in this segment. Casey, just quickly, the difference between a carbon reduction goal and a renewable portfolio standard. How do you see it different? I, I mean, it's outcomes versus methods, right? So, you know, a, a carbon reduction is about the uh, emissions, whereas a renewable portfolio standard is about specific technologies that ideally are reducing emissions. When we come back, I want to talk with Tyler Moore. Uh, uh, this is uh, Tyler Norris. Uh, he works with Cypress Creek Renewables. He's the head of development and policy there. I want to talk with him about his time at Stanford, his time at DOE. Uh, talk a little bit about this Brattle report uh, on House Bill 951 in North Carolina. Talk about solar technology and advances. Stick around for our final segment with Tyler Norris. This is Tim Eccles on Energy Matters. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. 
Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters, our last segment, uh, talking to Tyler Norris, KC with Cypress Creek Renewables. And KC, I know you, you do love you some North Carolina. I do. In fact, I've spent quite a bit of time up there uh, this fall, and um, Western North Carolina is absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's right across the border from North Georgia, which is similarly beautiful. Yeah, so he's in Research Triangle. I had a chance, Tyler, to come up there and tour the Cree lighting facility. And wow, has LED lights ever changed uh, the game out there for business? Yeah, it's remarkable. And, and just what that demonstrates is so much collaboration between our university system and our startups. And it's a, it's a great success story for the state, but for the country as well. Tyler, you went to Stanford. Casey, we've had... Man, we've had folks from everywhere, but you remember those guys from Stanford that that had went to Stanford and Harvard, and they said they preferred Stanford over Harvard. Absolutely, and and Tim, I'm I'm beginning to sense a pattern here. I mean, we we like to give folks who went to Stanford a hard time, but we we increasingly have folks on the show that went to Stanford. So I, maybe I don't know. Maybe that maybe there's a pattern here. Yeah. So what did you what did you take away from your time out there at Stanford, Tyler? Yeah, well, I, you know, I focused on public policy and especially energy technology policy, and at the time was really interested in, in the collaboration between publicly funded research and development and private entrepreneurship. And in many ways, Silicon Valley embodied that, you know, it was originally funded a lot by the Defense Department that helped kind of give rise to a lot of the technology-based sectors out there. The example you just mentioned, Cree, is another good one. A lot of that publicly funded research at the NC State University, and that's in part what led me ultimately to the Energy Department to figure out ways that we can optimize our federal spending on technology to address some of these challenges, especially in the energy sector. Well, yeah, you you went you you then worked with DOE under both Secretary Chu and Secretary Moniz. I had a chance to spend some time with. Moniz just, you know, in, in some rooms, not me and him hanging out together, but I think he was an MIT guy. He was he was quite, quite bright. Uh, Casey, these, uh, the Department of Energy is a powerful entity in America. A lot of folks may not know that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they put a lot of, and, and Tyler, I'm sure you can talk quite a bit more about this, but they put a lot of emphasis on, you know, developing new technologies and deployment. And, you know, one of the things I was going to say, you know, Tyler, that, that, you talked about your interest in kind of the public-private partnership piece, and you know I think DOE plays a role in this, which is around you know how do you de-risk projects, right? Um, and you know there are kind of different governmental entities that do that in different ways, um, but ultimately it's it's about how do you get things to the point where the private sector says, yeah, I'm going to cut a check and and we're going to get this done. Absolutely right, and you know there's so many examples of that public-private partnership that has benefited the country, including, you know, in the hydrofracturing revolution, a lot of those initial technologies were supported by the Energy Department, of course, on the nuclear power side, uh, including the, the AT-1000, you know, under construction there in Georgia, and so many other energy technologies have benefited from that public-private partnership. But as you noted, it's so important that uh, we do identify that point when the private sector and take that technology to scale so that we can direct those public funds towards uh, towards newer technologies. Tyler, I, a lot of folks might not know, but I mean, the DOE, the Department of Energy, is fairly agnostic, it seems, because they've got departments on just about every fuel you can imagine over there, and the employees are tenured, 
you know, professional employees and they, they remain uh, after another administration comes in, regardless of the party. DOE just seems to be very dedicated to just being all about energy all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's one thing that often sets it apart from some of, some of its counterparts is, you know, there's a lot of pride and the professionalized nature of each of the technology offices. It really is structured around different technologies. So there is an office of nuclear, there's an office of fossil energy, there's one for energy efficiency and renewable energy. And there's so much effort that goes into those funding opportunities. Uh, you know, each of those funding opportunities is, you know, rigorously assessed and professionalized to make sure that, you know, the best applicants uh, for those grants or, you know, loan guarantees that uh, that they are the, the, the best performers. So I want to stick with this theme of technology development. Of course, you're in the private sector now. Um, you know, when we think about developments in solar technologies or in how you're developing solar, you know, what, what have you seen um, there from kind of where you sit now? Yeah, well, I'll mention, you know, one of the reasons I decided to, to come over to the private side and to the development space is that we were able to, to advance the technology so far down the cost curve that, of course, we saw explosive growth occur in solar power. And, you know, it really appeared that we were ready to go and deploying this at scale. Uh, I'd seen how far the Southeast had started to come and wanted to help contribute to that effort. And, and so that was, that was really the whole impetus was coming down to the Southeast and helping us unlock this new technology and, and uh, secure those benefits for ratepayers and, and all the benefits it can provide to the system. But it's just been remarkable to, to see its progress and, and to see that grow from North Carolina and Georgia down to South Carolina and into Florida and, and all across, and then, of course, in other regions as well. Uh, but, you know, we're just at the beginning, right? As you all know, we're, we're only a 3% penetration of solar nationally, so this is really just the beginning. So, Tyler, I mean, you worked at the Office of Technology Transition. I mean, do you see do you see solar having another 10 years of substantial growth and then and then batteries and then hydrogen and then advanced nuclear? How do you see things playing out if you were kind of looking at the ne- at the next four decades? Yeah, well, great question. I think, it, you know, it'll. It'll differ from region to region based on what the most available and cost competitive resource is. We have incredible solar resource potential in the Southeast uh, with ready access to land and interconnection uh, and really favorable insulation. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of headroom to go. As you allude, though, now that battery storage has come down the cost curve as well, We've got an opportunity to make these assets even more valuable to the system. And, of course, we can do a lot with existing lithium-ion battery technology, but many more uh, storage innovations coming through that technology pipeline as we speak. You mentioned green hydrogen as an option. I think we'll certainly see some development there. Other long-duration battery chemistries and interseasonal battery storage, that's going to be really important for the Southeast, too, because... In some of our jurisdictions here in the southeast, we do have a winter peaking system. We need to figure out ways of storing that power in the summertime and uh, and discharging it in the wintertime when it's needed most. And so I think we've got a really great opportunity just really starting now to start thinking about both pairing storage with solar uh, at utility scale and behind meter, but then, but then also doing some standalone storage 
Um, so we, we'd be happy to talk about some of those specific cases if it's helpful. Yeah, we've only got three minutes left uh, in the show. You know, Casey, you heard uh, you heard Tyler's prognosis there of what what may be going on in the future. So, Casey, you're I know you're you're very bullish on hydrogen. You see it maybe as the perfect fuel of <laughs> uh, of the future, right? Uh, maybe not. Um, how do you see, Casey, batteries? Um, batteries becoming prime time. Yeah, so I mean, batteries are ready for prime time in certain applications, and I think you know Tyler hit hit the nail on the head there with saying that you know part of what we're going to need to figure out next, you know, it's scaling deployment of the things that we know how to do now, but next is figuring out those long duration storage because um, you know if you do have a system that is much more reliant on renewables, you need to be able to smooth over those seasonal peaks that that you've got, um, and and you know as you well know, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, Tim, before, reliability is paramount, right? We don't want to be building towards a system where people are experiencing seasonal blackouts. Like, that's just not going to fly. Hey, Tyler, how can folks, and and why should they contact Cypress Creek Renewables? Yeah, well, you know, we pride ourselves on our engagement with communities in the Southeast and and all across the country and uh, with landowners of all different kinds. You know, if you have... uh, a decently sized tract of land, whether it's, you know, 20 acres large or multiple hundred acres large, and you might be interested in uh, finding a way to monetize that property and contribute to our power supply. Uh, We're always open to hearing from landowners and communities that that may be interested in in utilizing it for solar power. So you're welcome to reach out on our website or directly to me anytime. Yeah, what's the website? Yeah, it's uh, www.com. CCRenew.com. That's CCRenew.com. And how can they reach you on uh, social media? Are you guys out there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any any uh, platforms? Yeah, all platforms. And, and you can also find me, Tyler H. Norris, on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn at, uh, at Tyler Norris. Well, I mean, you've had some rich experience. And I know uh, you're putting it to good use up there. Solar is in its heyday right now. Casey, uh, you know, great to see, you know, Tyler leveraging this experience out of DOE and Stanford in really helping North Carolina meet its goals. Absolutely. And it's great to have some competition here in the Southeast. We should all be pushing each other to do better. Tyler, thanks a lot for being on our show today. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, folks, you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcast at Energy Matters with Commissioner Eccles, and we'll push that out to you if you subscribe. Uh, And, of course, you can go to WGAURadio.com and click On Demand and always catch any of our shows there as well. Hey, thanks for listening today. We appreciate you growing with us uh, as we interview the brain trust of sustainability across our country. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters because energy does matter. Have a great weekend, everyone.
Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at SolarSunWorld.com. SolarSunWorld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.